Hi, everyone. My name is Kevin Clark, and I'll be your host for today. I'm a UX manager on the Shopify email team. And prior to that, I was a UX manager on the checkout team for a long time, where I worked on a few redesigns and launched a product called Shopify Pay. My guest for today is the one and only Yesenia Perez-Cruz, a senior UX manager on our Polaris team. Yesenia, can you tell us about you and what you do at Shopify? Of course. So great to be part of this. Talk a little bit about Polaris and what we've all been up to. So, yep, my name is Yesenia. I'm a senior UX manager on the Polaris team. I have been at Shopify for about a year and a half, been leading the Polaris team the entire time. I live and work out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I have been working remotely from Philadelphia for about the past five or six years. And the other thing that I've been doing for a very long time is working on design systems and working <laughs> on design systems in a lot of different capacities. And the definition of what a design system means and what it means for a company has evolved so much over that time. But I still find it really interesting work. So get really excited to be working on design systems and especially at the scale that we're working with at Shopify. Yeah. So for people who don't know, how would you describe Polaris? So Polaris, the design system for primarily Shopify's admin product, that's initially what it was created for. I think we have been in the midst of a transition around that and trying to think about Polaris, not just as a system for the admin, but a system of systems across Shopify and thinking about the different kind of like the different levels of a design system. So things that are more foundational versus things that are more specific to a specific product or environment or audience. So Polaris literally means like a North Star. And mm. when we think about a design system and when we think about a design system and how much consistency or how much constraints the system should have, What's nice about the idea about a, a North Star is its purpose is just to point people towards a similar direction. It allows them to kind of focus in one direction, but it right. doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, North is always in one direction. Hmm. So I think that it's a directional tool. It isn't a tool that's meant to be constraining and it's not meant to be a set of guidelines and like really rigid do's and don'ts that limit people. Right. Yeah. Because I think that's something that people often they see sort of like the artifact mm -hmm. they see like you go to polaris.shopify.com and like they think that is you know that is polaris yeah. that, but it's just an artifact right absolutely it's a tool so oftentimes people do see and think about design systems as the output as the assets themselves that you use to create your products and those things are really important but the reason that they're important is because they're kind of like an, an, an encapsulation and a way to scale decision-making. And one thing that I always encourage with the Polaris team and in the way that we talk about systems is I warn against just thinking about the system as this kind of static tool. A system is a collection of all of our best decisions. And when you are contributing to a system, you are just sharing the things that you've learned with your coworkers so that they can borrow from that and so that they can make better products. So as much as anything, it's a tool to share decision-making and rationale that allows us to make better decisions and to share our the things that have worked and share the things that haven't worked. Yeah, that's really cool. And I love like, at, at least as kind of a user of Polaris, 
I love that there's already so much thought that has gone into, you know, the all the the baseline level kind of components of like, here's how buttons work. Here's how fields work. And it takes away sort of like a baseline layer of things that I normally would have to worry about so I can concentrate on bigger order problems. Yeah. And I think that's really one of the benefits of a design system, especially when you think about just fundamental accessibility, performance, usability. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Having a starting point that people can build from, I think is really important. And I I guess one thing is the work doesn't stop there. So you can have accessible components and still use them in a way that is inaccessible in a product because it's more Mm. complex than that. But it at least gives you a foundation. So I think that that's what we're aiming to provide for people. Yeah. Can you share a bit how Polaris has evolved over time? And sort of maybe I'm always curious about this, this part, like what are the challenges that you face like throughout the different stages of Polaris? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think what's interesting is that I joined when I joined Polaris was already a couple years old. So I wasn't here for kind of like the beginning stages of creating the system. But if you have watched Polaris, followed Polaris externally, and like I did, it was always seen as this just hallmark of a design system. I Mm -hmm. even, when I gave talks about design systems, would always include Polaris as an example. Um, And that was why I was really excited to work on it. And I think the, the thing about Polaris is that many teams, when they're trying to get a design system up and running, some of the challenges they run into are buy-in and adoption and a lot of resistance and, you know, a lot of resistance from, from people that would think that a design system is limiting creativity. And so there's a lot of these kind of barriers that people typically have to work with. Again, when I give talks, those are the types of questions that people ask me about, like, how do I get buy-in? How do I get dedicated resources to work on this design system? And so the thing that was just great about Polaris is the adoption. Mm. It was very heavily adopted, especially for Shopify's admin. And I think that it could be something about the culture at Shopify, but people really kind of viewed it as something, as a tool that helped accelerate them. So I think what's interesting about that is once you get over the initial hurdles of a design system, so a buy-in and adoption, what comes next? And mm. that's where the problems get really interesting because you've gone ahead and you've created this design system, you've created these components. It has now trickled into all of these products. And then how do you maintain it? How do you make decisions around what you should make a small change or when to refactor something, when to refactor something in a really big way. Mm. The cost of refactoring something that has already been adopted by a lot of teams. How do you do that in a way that doesn't slow them down? So there's all of these questions that then come up once you get that adoption that I think are are really interesting. I think the other thing that that is always a challenge with a design system is what is the balance between flexibility and kind of being more being more strict and it's a tricky problem to solve for because on the one side we're not creating bootstrap like 
your design system <laughs> should be opinionated. It's not something that should be used by any company. There should be points of view about how your company makes decisions that are baked into the system. So there should be some level of, not strictness, but some level of, what's a good word for barriers? <laughs> I don't want to say barriers, right. but some level of... Uh, like guardrails? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, some amount of guardrails there. But you don't want it to be too strict. Mm -hmm. So where that becomes challenging is that it can be really hard to plan in either direction. So if you set out with the goal of creating a really flexible system, sometimes you can create something where it becomes overly bloated and overly complicated really easily because you're just anticipating future needs. And so you can go in the other direction and you can lean towards less flexibility and kind of these more defined components. But those components are, are things that worked for a moment in time. And if you're trying to move a product forward in, in really big ways, then the components might be too limiting. And I think that those are some of the problems that we're trying to figure out now with Polaris, where some of the initial components are big. They have a lot of stuff baked into it. Component like a resource list, it has a lot of stuff in there. And so we're trying to figure out how do we make things more modular and composable, but still maintain the guidance, the guidance so that you know how you should use the thing. So those are some of the things that we're, we're trying to solve for now. And I would say the other big thing is that, again, I mentioned like seeing Polaris from the outside and it, it feels so complete. It feels so thought through. And so many people reference it. And I think that is so great. But if you go to the flip side of that, sometimes it can appear more complete than it is. And mm. sometimes it can be tough for someone that is new to the company to know how they can push back. And so one of the things that we've, we've been trying to focus on is you never see the rationale that led to the decisions that are in a design system. You see the assets and you see the, the guidance, but you never see what did we learn about our merchants that led us to make this decision? What's our confidence level in this decision? Right. How many iterations did we go through? And so servicing research and rationale is, is another thing that we're trying to focus on now. That's really cool because for people, you know, who are listening to this from other companies, one of the things that we talk a lot about internally is what we call tripwires. And so tripwires are like, what are the sort of like factors or facts that you should look for to reevaluate a decision? And I think you're totally right that like I've never seen a design system highlight sort of the tripwires of like, mm -hmm. hey, like this design system or this component was designed assuming that the reality was X. And then the question becomes like, what happens if that changes? Because, hey, the world is evolving at a very rapid pace, especially right now. Things are changing all the time. And so it, I think it's interesting to think about like, what, what were the considerations that went into creating this, this component? And what are the factors that might warrant changing or deviating yeah. from that pattern? Yeah, that's such a good way to look at it. 
There was this image I saw on Twitter recently that was, it was a bridge and then it was no longer over the the body of water. And the caption Mm. was something like, this bridge was built to last, but then the river changed its course. And I think that's always the challenge when you're- (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) That's always the challenge when you're building something foundational. You want it to be sturdy enough to have some longevity because it's not, you want it to, you want teams to be able to build on top of it. But it can't be so rigid that it can't change when merchants, the product, the world changes course. Yeah, yeah, definitely. As a manager myself, I'm always curious about how teams are organized, because that's sort of a lot of what I do, right? And from the outside, because I'm not working on Polaris myself, but from the outside, I see lots of different companies approach this from different angles and have different sort of team organizations around design system. I kind of see that spectrum. So on one end of the spectrum, you have, you know, companies that really like empower everyone working on feature teams to contribute to that system and really have a sort of like decentralized approach with their design system where There's not like a single entity that looks over the design system. It's like the design system is all of our responsibility. We're all contributing to it. Yeah, it's all our responsibility. On the other hand, you have companies that are like, yeah, that is great. But they kind of prefer having a more centralized approach where there is a dedicated team and they can build deep expertise into creating systems that are expressive, that are flexible enough and have kind of the context so that we don't end up with a system that kind of like diverges over time and ends up going in different directions. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of curious where does Shopify land sort of like on that spectrum from one end to the other? And what Mm -hmm. is kind of like our rationale for that? Yeah. And I am very much a both person. (laughs) So I would say some of the work that I have been doing with the Polaris team over time is trying to get us to a point where we're not fully centralized, but we also shouldn't be fully distributed, but a a hybrid model. So I think that there's really great ways that you can contribute to a system when you're within working on a product and also great ways that you can contribute to a system as someone that is on the systems team. And the most important thing is, are the feedback loops between the two working. Mm. So the thing that someone that is working on a product, the thing that they have is context. So they understand the problem. They understand how a component or how a UI or UX solution works in context. They can test it with merchants. They can see if it's working. They have research. And All of that stuff, you absolutely need it in order to make an informed decision about something. The thing that a a systems team has is they can see interconnections. And so that's another thing that I say to the Polaris team all the time. We should always be looking for how we provide the interconnections, how we provide the connective thread. And so we're working on this project right now to rethink our documentation tool. And a whole lot of that work is going deep with people on product teams to understand their distinct research and user needs and the decisions that they made 
And then figuring out how we create a system through tags that surfaces interconnection. So it surfaces, okay, these three teams were working for different audiences in different environments, but they actually got to a shared solution. And that's because this variable was shared among them. Variable could be something like the distance to the device or the lighting conditions. And so what we're trying to do is if we can create some infrastructure that surfaces the interconnections and also bring in that knowledge from product teams, then we can have those feedback loops. I think more tangibly, it's really important to also shuffle people. Right. So one thing that we did with at the beginning of the year, again, all of Shopify was responding to COVID. There was a lot of shifts. And the Polaris team, we actually paused our projects for over two months. And we embedded with product teams to help ship COVID features. And that time was just, it was fascinating because on the one side, there is no way that we could have gotten some of those products out as quickly if we didn't have a Polaris, like if we didn't have a starting point. But on the other, we really got to feel the pain. We really got to feel (laughs) the pain that someone on a product team encounters when they're just trying to put two buttons next to each other and it's not working and why and why doesn't Polaris let me do this? And I'm, I'm like, why don't I know this? So <laughs> we really got to feel that pain and it was so important. So shuffling people, having people from product teams join a systems team, having people from the systems team join a product team. I think that those cycles are so valuable because you can't lose that feedback loop. Right. So right now, we still have a team that's centralized. And what we focus on is what is the work that we're the best suited to do? And then what's the work that we can ask product teams to do? Oftentimes, all we need from a product team is that context, like the problems that they were solving for the seedling of an idea. And if they don't have time to make it a fully fledged component, that should be okay. So that's where we stand right now, where to me, it's more about the feedback loops than having being really rigid around centralization or decentralization. Right. And I think having that collaboration is really what makes it all work. I think when you think about it, the designers on product teams are basically your users. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I think it's so rare that as designers, like our audience is us <laughs> directly. And so it's actually like a really great opportunity to be able to kind of like swap those roles pretty easily. And it's kind of a privilege that almost nobody else oh has God, yeah. to dog food our own work. Absolutely. That was the thing with these cycles where we were embedded with product teams. Whoever gets a chance to design <laughs> alongside the users of the thing that you create. Right. You never get that out. You. I never got that opportunity before. So absolutely. Yeah. And we do try that too, even for merchants. Like I've certainly like spent before COVID, obviously spent some days like in a store with a merchant, like packing orders and kind of getting a feel for what that's like. So we're trying to replicate that Mm -hmm. for, you know, our, I'd say primary users, which are merchants. But yeah, I think that that sort of middle ground approach feels very Shopify to me where I don't think we we don't tend to be super like dogmatic 
and we try to take the best of both worlds <laughs> and kind of merge them together. <laughs> One thing you talked a little bit about the challenges of working on Polaris was sort of this idea of, okay, you're creating a system and you want to make sure that it actually reflects the needs of our merchants and our users, which are also other designers. And one of the things that I saw you discuss before is kind of the fear that people will kind of like trust the system too much. And I think that's that's kind of interesting. And in keeping with, I think, this this topic, I feel like Shopify is maybe at the forefront of like what's going on in design systems. And so, you know, we've talked about a lot of people at the stage of, hey, what if people don't trust the design system enough? And then we're maybe seeing like, hey, what happens if people trust the design too much? So can you tell us a bit more about that and how Mm -hmm. you're kind of like dealing with this? Yeah. So one thing that a principle that I try to say over and over again is that we should be providing clarity, not constraints. And when people feel clarity, then they can push on a system with confidence. Now, do we always, would I say that every part of Polaris is currently doing that? No, but I think it's something that we should try to aspire to. Now, what I mean by that is clarity compared to constraints. So a constraint to me would be, we are blocking you from doing something. In order to modify this component, you're going to have to like decouple it, or you're going to have to just fork it, make something completely custom. Or lots of guardrails or blockers around uh, contributing something. And where that gets really frustrating is if people don't understand why that decision was made, or if people don't understand, well, why can't I do this? And so where the clarity part comes in is if you don't add the constraints by not allowing someone to do it, but you allow them to do it, but you provide clarity around how they should be doing it, then it allows for more experimentation. So when you think about a component and the type of language that people might use, if they are taking a big component and doing something different with it, they would typically say, we're deviating from this. And there's something about the idea of like deviating from that it already has a kind of kind of negative language. Like, should right, we be yeah. deviating from it? It feels like, ooh, should we be doing this? Why are we deviating? And it feels like it's maybe in a position in opposition to the yeah. system rather than maybe building on top of it. Exactly, exactly. But that is what happens when you have something that's you have a bigger component that people have to pull apart. The reason why having components that are really modular and composable works really well is because you're building width, you're building it up. And so you could see language again, that's like, okay, we're innovating with this. We're building this up. We're building from these pieces. And that just naturally positions it in a place where people are using language that already feels more empowering for them. So that is, we could say as much as we can that we want you to innovate with the system. But unless the tool set allows you to do that in a way where you don't feel like you're deviating from it, it's really hard. Like we can't, you can't change the mindset without also changing the tool set. So some of the stuff that we're thinking about is like, where do we need to be more modular? Just accept the fact that people will need to create custom things. People will need to 
identify needs that we haven't anticipated and how do we make that easy? And so a lot of the, the work that we've done recently around the way colors work in Polaris is built with that mindset. It's built with the mindset that people need to change things. And so how do we accept that and give you tool sets that allow you to do that? Right. Yeah. And something we talk a lot about internally is about Polaris sort of being the floor and not the ceiling. And I really just love this idea because I think to me, it like really, it's, it's silly, right? It's just a sentence, <laughs> but I feel like it really flipped a switch for me of like, this is where you start and you build on top of it and you'll enhance it. Like, but it should never feel like it's limiting you or yeah. it's preventing you from achieving what you're doing. Should be a set of tools and then you either combine them together or you build on top of them or you modify them, but they're really there to support you, not to limit you. Yeah, absolutely. And as a systems team, we should always be optimizing for that. We should always be optimizing for people being able to innovate with the system. That's really cool. So speaking of innovation, <laughs> at the time that we're recording this, we're about to launch a pretty big design language update to our design system, which is already going to be out at the time that this episode is released. So that's why we, we can talk about it. And I'm personally super excited about this change. This is one of the biggest change to Polaris that we've had in, in a long time. So can you tell us a little bit about sort of the mo motivation behind that and kind of the process that comes behind rolling this out at scale? Yeah, so the design language, it is meant to be a shift in tone for, for, for merchants and the way that merchants experience Shopify. It will feel more, more mature tone and kind of more fresh, I would say color palette, less purple. But the thing that I'm the most excited about is the way that we chose to create the infrastructure to roll it out. It's built to evolve. It's built to change. So we're accepting, again, the fact that we need to continually be iterating on all of these experience elements, even as small as, as micro interactions and, and focus states. We should continually be iterating on those things and making them better. So previously, the, the way that color was set up in, in Polaris was the colors weren't semantic. So you would use color indigo and, and color yellow and, and the actual name of, of the color themselves in the places where it was used. And so we moved away from that system and we built a theming system that uses all semantic color names. So instead of using color indigo for the primary button, it's now the primary color. The badges and, and different states say like this, the warning color, the highlight color. And it uses a kind of JavaScript file, which then generates variants based on the nine color variables that are input into the system. And so what is nice about this is that previously, or, or even with this redesign, if we wanted to just update all the places where there was purple to green, it wasn't as simple as doing a find and replace because people could be using that purple in so many different ways. And one of the things that's really tricky with the design system is you want to be able to have high confidence around like dependencies. And if you roll out a change, you want to have a pretty good idea of how that's going to cascade. 
And you can't do that if you're not using color in a systematic way. <laughs> and so by moving to this color system, we can have high confidence that if we're updating our primary brand color, we know the places where that's going to cascade. And so we can make those iterations with higher confidence. The thing that I have been saying to everyone is, I really don't want us to have to do these grand reveals, these big, we're going to flip a switch for something like a visual change. Those should be things that we could be improving continually. And it shouldn't be something that, or it should be something that we can roll out with minimal disruption to product teams and to merchants. And so we did invest a lot of time in getting the infrastructure right. But it was a kind of like an investment in the beginning phase of it, knowing that we're going to want to evolve things continually in the future. Yeah, and I think that's really smart. I feel like this is one of the first times that I see a design system that kind of is self-aware enough to know that this is not going to be the last major update. Like it's kind of setting things up for the future. And it's super smart in that way because like, you know, every couple of years, you know, as much as we'd like to think everything that we're launching is perfect, there are going to be more use cases. Mm -hmm. There are going to be, you know, bigger problems that we want to tackle and we're going to have to update those things. So let's already take that into consideration. And I think in doing so, like what you were describing with the colors and like different places where we went semantic versus just kind of like, you know, having, okay, here's green, here's blue, here's red. I think where we're doing that, we're also making it easier, I think, on the users of the system. Because rather than having to to interpret, is an error red or is an error orange and like having all these debates and these conversations now it's like okay what what's your message is this an error Mm -hmm. use the error color and the system will figure out like at the end of the day what color should that be and depending on the context maybe that color is different right and it's, it's so it's sort of at least from my perspective it's allowing us to operate at the higher level of like not having to like actually specify sort of like Actually, okay, let me do a better example. We used to, every time we would design something, we would specify a hex color, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is literally the specific color. Then we went one step up and we we're like, okay, no, you're not going to define like the, the specific hex you want. You're just going to say like, do you want red? Do you want blue? Do you want whatever? And mm-hmm. then we'll give you the one that we have. And now it's like, we're taking this to another level, which is like, no, 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 no. Like don't tell us the color, you, the specific color you want. Tell us what you mean. And and I love that. And that creates systems that can be updated more easily, that create systems that can evolve to different contexts better. And even touching on your idea of like Polaris is maybe more uh, a system of systems, then I can see how this can also be applied to like, okay, you're using Polaris, but maybe with a different theming system for some reason. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is that I had mentioned like, Assume that people need to create custom components. Just assume that. Right. (laughs) And so that's the other thing that we're doing here where, yep, different needs are going to come up. And previously, if that was the case, then if you made a custom component and we had to roll out a change, like a visual change, then you would have to update that in all of your custom components. Versus now, 
as long as it's hooked up to the color system, you can have your custom components. It's still connected to that source of truth. Right. We make an update. You don't have to touch it as long as it's all linked, as long as that link is there. So that's the other thing that we're just trying to account for is just making things easier for product teams too when when these changes go out. That's really cool. And I kind of like want to underscore and sort of, I'm basically repeating what you've just said, but like that means the sort of like core baseline kind of like element level things are exposed in this design system. So like even if you have to create your own custom component, you don't have to go 100% on your own. Mm -hmm. You're still leveraging the design system, even if you're creating something entirely new. So things like border radius, things like colors, things like spacing, all of these things still use the same tools that we use for building the actual components. And so that allows even, you know, totally custom components to still leverage a lot of the benefits of the design system. And I think that's so smart. Like I couldn't have come up with this. And I think that's super cool. And that's why I love, you know, getting to pick your brain on that stuff, because you're so thoughtful and so smart. And like, I feel like you see kind of like four moves ahead of where things are going. Honestly, I have just made a lot of mistakes with color systems in the past. (laughs) (laughs) I can feel it. (laughs) A lot of experience here. Yeah, so so I know what what hasn't worked. (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, we're currently in the process of rolling this out and going through these updates to be able to launch it. I'm assuming this is like, I'm just throwing out this idea here, but I'm assuming that it probably requires a lot of cross-team collaboration and communication. So how are you approaching this? Yeah, that's a great question because the coverage area is really broad. I mean, this rollout is primarily for Shopify's admin, but there are so many different pieces of that. So the primary thing that we wanted to do was make sure that like our docs were in a row before. So Polaris, <laughs> that Polaris React was ready, that Polaris Rails were, was ready prior to asking teams to do anything. I think an important thing about this rollout is that we built it to be backwards compatible. So the it's kind of like purple and green are living side by side for a while. Hmm. So it's easy to kind of roll it back and test with it. So what we created a beta flag for the new design language. And so when when things were ready, we asked teams to create audits, just audit their areas and see, turn on the beta flag, what has broken, what do you need to update? And aside from that, it's just, it has been a lot of just making sure that we're communicating the same message over and over again in different channels. So email and Slack and meetings and in-person pairing sessions, one-on-ones, just so I make sure that if you didn't get one message, you see it somehow. So that's been important. And I think another thing that's important with anything that requires change is kind of bringing attention to like the first team that completed their audit. I was like, look, this team completed (laughs) their audit. That's awesome. Because I think that that like that kind of encouragement can be a force multiplier. So that was another thing that that we focused on. Yeah, totally. And even being like for us, you know, working on Shopify email, like going through that, that stuff as well. It's been cool to be able to leverage like 
seeing how different people have done their audits and how they've approached it and kind of like all the conversations that are also happening about that, like the way that it's sort of, I don't know if crowdsource is the right word, but it, it's kind of like having these conversations in the open, yep. which are super helpful to us. The rationale is also like so well explained and even down to like kind of the tech part that you're talking about with like, hey, we're building this new design system. But there's also like there's kind of two basically it can be it can render things in old legacy design system and render things in new design system. That made it so that when I added the beta flag and started testing it out for Shopify email, I was shocked, honestly, like most things already were looking great, you know, (laughs) and and that just speaks to that kind of like infrastructure level that you're building. And I'm sure like the next time around, like it's going to be so much easier also. Like it's from our conversation, I kind of have a feeling that we want this to be the last rollout where we have to do all of this work around it. Right. And so it's smart into thinking, hey, this is not going to be the last update, but it's smart into thinking, but we want this to be the last one where it's a big thing. Exactly. (laughs) It's a big thing. Yeah, exactly. And I said, like, if the next change is actually a major rethink or or big layout changes, that that's a different story. But People that talk about design systems always talk about pace layering that like mm. different or or like the different layers of a building where style, stylistic elements and fashion and culture that changes really frequently, but a foundation, cultural norms, those change at a slower frequency. And so to me, a change that is visual, that is more at the at that UI level should be able to change easily, quickly, without a lot of pain and coordination compared to a change that is much more fundamental. And so that's what I'm right. getting at, where for, for something like this, we should be able to respond a lot more quickly. And then the other thing, you mentioned the crowdsourcing. Yeah, our GitHub project board, I think, has been a really big part of that because we've just asked teams to log everything into GitHub and keep it all in one project board. And that just helps us see like, if teams are logging multiple things, then we only need one person to fix that. And so it's it's kind of like, hey, if you fix it, you'll help out like four different people and that'll help close five issues instead of just your one. So I think that that visibility is also really important. Yeah, that's amazing. So, Jasenia, it's been amazing to get to catch up with you. I feel like I could have gone for like another two hours, probably. So to wrap things up, if our listeners want to hear more about design systems and they're like oh my gosh this is what I've been waiting for like I crave this kind of content this kind of information and just really like your experience like this is not your first rodeo (laughs) I think people will be happy to learn that you wrote an entire book about this so you wrote this book for a book apart it's called expressive design systems and I have to say like I've read it as soon as it came out It was so helpful into like changing how I think about design systems. And it like it really showed me the different way to think about what I do every day. And it has so many tips. And I think it's just it's a must read for anyone who's either working on a design system or implementing it. So I would highly recommend it. We have a link in the show notes. So go check it out for sure. I think you're probably too humble to plug your own book, but I will. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much for for being here. 
And basically, for like the maybe the last word, I was wondering, is there anything else that you'd like to to plug here to recommend that people check out? I think just follow, you can follow along with Polaris. You can, I think we, we try to send out updates actually from Shopify UX Twitter account, but you can go to polaris.shopify.com and see some of our updates there, read the documentation, take a look at that stuff. We'll be shipping some updates to that over time as well. You can follow me on Twitter. It's uh, Jasenia. So Jasenia with two A's at the end. Sometimes I tweet about design systems. Sometimes I don't, but (laughs) (laughs) you can follow me for the subtypes that I do if you're interested in more design system stuff. Nice. That's awesome. Thank you so much again for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks. Bye.